again at the concept of hope. It was one of my favorite days of the year. Now, you would think I'd be talking about Christmas, but no, not Christmas, and not a birthday, not Valentine's or any holiday. It's that day out in the Midwest. It doesn't happen so much out here in California, but that day in the Midwest where you started to see the, the switch from winter to spring, and there's been about three weeks of warmth, and the grass is turning green. I was never fully engaged in school during high school or elementary school or parts of college. I was never fully engaged. But I let me tell you, the day where I disengaged from school, especially my junior and senior year at boarding academy, was the first day the maintenance crew had to go out and mow the lawn. I would be sitting in history class or some other class, English, it doesn't matter. And that waft of the fresh cut grass would come through the windows as I sat there in class and my schoolmates were out mowing the lawn and I was done. I, I, I disengaged. I just sat there and sniffed in that beautiful smell. Just like spring is coming. It's fantastic. I will never forget those moments. That, the smell, the first smell of fresh cut grass. And it was that time of year. Sports is getting back in going. Baseball is getting going. Little League is going. And on that day, on a day very similar to that, there was a Little League game going on, and a gentleman's walking up to it and just wanting to stop in and see what's going on. It's, it's not a fancy field, no scoreboards. So he, he walks up to a young kid sitting on the bench. is like, hey, excuse me, uh, can you tell me the score? And he's like, yes, sir. It's 18 to nothing. We're behind. And the guy was just like blown away. He was like, oh my goodness. And the little kid was like, don't worry. We haven't even been up to bat yet. You know, I like that kid's perspective. That kid's perspective says a lot to me. Because in that moment, in a moment where it seems like you might as well shut it down before it's even started, this kid has hope. This kid has hope. Have I lost all of my screen stuff? All right. Um, So this kid has hope. Hope, I think, is one of those concepts that it's easy to, it's, it's easy to say that we have it, but not truly understand what it means. And today we're going to take a journey through Scripture. Scripture, the Bible, is a cohesive unit from Genesis to Revelation telling one story. One story of the message and work that God is doing to restore the relationship that was broken back in the garden. It is the one story that permeates Scripture. And so today we're going to take a journey stopping along various places in the Bible as we look at how hope can conquer. The most important thing to remember for today is hope carries us through. I want you at home to say that with me. Hope carries us through. Repeat that throughout the sermon today. Repeat that throughout the afternoon and the week coming up. Hope carries us through. So I want to go, as we start on our journey 
I want to go to the first word of hope found in the Bible. It's found in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up. I will be reading from the Bible and doing it my weird way, where unlike any other person you know, I have to take my glasses off to read. Um, I'll just acknowledge that fact because I get more comments on that than anything, really. Um, So Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is Jesus in the garden with Adam and Eve after they have sinned, and he has called them out for it, and they are acknowledging this fact. He comes to verse 15. And Jesus is, and, and God is talking to them there in the garden. And it says, I will put enmity. Enmity is hatred, uh, disdain, serious hatred. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, for a long time, and maybe you guys are aware of this, I I assume that you are, this is considered to be the first message of the gospel. This is the first message of the gospel. If you notice, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. The in, in our English translations, some of those words have been capitalized, seed and he and his, have been capitalized because it's understood that this is God talking about the moment, the solution to the problem. This is the first word of hope given to Adam and Eve there in the garden, speaking of Jesus who will come down and crush the serpent's head while taking a slight wound on his heel as he is crucified and killed but then will be raised back to life. This is that first word of hope. Now, I didn't realize that this isn't widely or commonly or wholly accepted. There, are, there were some commentators that I was reading that talked about this being a little fanciful, if you will, a too, too much of an allegorical statement. And as I, as I looked around and studied... I just I felt more and more convinced that that is wrong, that this really is a first word of hope, the first gospel message to Adam and Eve. Now remember, this is the day. As the scripture tells us, as the story goes, this would be the day, the, the evening after Eve ate of the apple and Adam ate of the apple. That very day, God is back walking with them but can't find them. And he is there in that moment with a message of hope, a message of encouragement. He doesn't come down and scold or curse Adam and Eve. He comes down and curses the snake. Cursed are you, you will slither on the ground. Curses the ground. It's going to be hard to manage and and cultivate. It's going to give you problems. But he does not come down and curse Adam and Eve in this moment, he comes down giving them a first word of hope. This first word of hope given in that moment as as they have sinned, as they have 
been separated and they're beginning to sense the weight and probably just an inkling. They have no clue as to the depths that sin is going to take this world. But they're beginning to sense the depth as God leaves for the very last time, as their walks are done, as they are kicked out of the garden, as they go, they are left with this word of hope. As they go out and carry on, life goes on, and Scripture tells us that Adam and Eve knew each other and had a baby. And I want to go look at that scripture right quick because I think it talks about one of the other aspects of hope that we need to recognize is sometimes we can have misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. So just moving down the page to chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam and Eve, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now I want to stop here and really look at this phrase. The screen is not down on that side. Let me look over here. Um, I have acquired a man from the Lord. That is the New King James Version, which I'm reading from today. That's what it says there. I want to look at a few other versions of this phrase right quick. Um, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That's in the English Standard Version. The NIV says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I've had the privilege of taking classes from people who I consider to be Hebrew scholars. And I have gleaned information from them. And so most of this information is from classes I've sat in, but I've gone and done my own study on it as much as I can. But this is a unique thing. A lot of times when you see translations where Lots of stuff is added to it. You you should just kind of know that maybe it's a bit of a struggle. The Hebrew here, for the 12 words that you find in the NIV, in the Hebrew, there are four words. I'm going to embarrass myself and try and pronounce them. Um, We're just going to say, Kaniti, Ish, Et, and then the unpronounceable name of the Lord, Yahweh, or Adonai. Kaniti, Ish, Et, Adonai. That is what the Hebrew says there. So just kind of translating that for you right quick. I have brought is what the first word means. The second is a man. Et is with. And then Adonai is Lord. I often find that the most important words in scriptures are the smallest ones. The ones that seem the least important. The word et is prepositional. It can be translated like with. Also, the very same word can also be like an accusative, a direct object. It can say, this is the thing you should look at. So it is possible that what the Hebrew actually says there is, I have brought a man, Lord, the Lord. Could it be that in this moment... After the birth of this child, Eve is remembering the promise of hope of a child coming. Is remembering the promise that there is going to be a, a, a man that comes. It's interesting that she didn't say, I've had a child. She said, no, I've brought forth a man, the Lord. Could she be remembering that hope and think that God is already keeping his word of 
promise that God is bringing to her the man who is going to crush the head of the serpent, who is going to solve the problems. Eve, there holding her son Cain, looking into the eyes of what she hopes is going to be the solution. I have brought forth a man, the Lord, the Savior. It is very possible, and I think likely, that Eve, in that moment of holding that baby, is thinking of what God has done and that his promise, his sure word of hope, is going to be there. But friends, we can't base hope on our expectations. When hope is based on our expectations or our vision of what we think is going to happen or should happen or the time frame in which it should happen, we have misplaced hope. In fact, I would say it is not actually hope at that time. It's something different. Hope is built on a sure foundation. Our hope must always be placed on a sure foundation, a foundation that goes beyond things that we can imagine. For it to be truly to be hopeful, it has to be unimaginable. And in that moment, when Eve is holding her son Cain, looking into his eyes, hoping beyond hope that this is the man, this is the one to come and right the wrong. I just can't imagine the life of Eve as she realizes her hope is misplaced and Cain is not the answer. Cain is just the beginning of understanding what sin has done, of understanding what their decision that fateful day has done to the world as she watches her oldest son kill one of her other sons. The misplaced hope. When we put our hope in things that are not built on a sure foundation, we will be destroyed. It will tear us apart. It will crush all of our dreams, our thoughts, what we think we know or believe. It will crush I just can't imagine what Adam and Eve felt as they saw over the years. And we're not talking just a hundred years, 900 years, the Bible says Adam lived. 900 years of seeing the effects of wishing each century that passes that the promised seed would come and seeing how it's not dying with the world going down into depths of sin that no one ever could have imagined. Misplaced hope. We must be sure to always place our hope on the sure foundation, on something that is outside of ourselves, outside of our plan. We must surrender that to truly have hope, to truly have something that goes beyond But the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. Hope continues on throughout Scripture. The story of that first promise of hope found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And 
there will be a seed of the woman and he will crush your head and he, but you will bruise his heel. The story goes on. And we're going to pick it up again in Isaiah where we are going to find out about how we are waiting on hope. I invite you again to open your Bibles to Isaiah, kind of just past the middle of your Bible. If you just go a little past the middle and open it up, Isaiah is a pretty big book. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, starting with verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Now, if you're like me, probably at this point in time, you have a little song going off in your head. Um, I'm not going to attempt to sing it, but, you know, picture your best opera, just beautiful voice singing, Comfort ye, and Handel's Messiah, Comfort ye, my people. Man, the song is going in my head right now. And if you're... And probably because I listened to it yesterday as I was reading this. And then if you're truly into it and want something else to do, this afternoon go listen to the new Young Messiah. That's just a fancier, jazzier version of Handel's Messiah, and it's pretty off the hook, back from the 90s. So good stuff it there. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand Double for all her sins. Now, I want to stop there. Last week, we looked at the exiles. As they were exiled away for 70 years, they had that promise from Jeremiah that in chapter 29 that talked about how they were exiled, but there was still hope for I know the plans. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope. This prophecy here comes actually well before the exile too and there's a lot of people who look and say well maybe this wasn't isaiah because he he, this was written so far before what it's talking about about where they've gone to exile but they've come out but i believe this is isaiah the prophet writing here for sure verse three it goes on to say the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley. Mm-mm-mm. All right. That, that's, this is where it gets going. The Larnell Harris version. You got to go look at young, New Young Messiah. Larnell Harris, he's an artist from the 90s. Man, he kills it. And that's what's going off in my head right now. Every valley. Mm-hmm. Man, good stuff. And every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. I want to talk, uh, stop there and kind of talk about the context of this real quick. Um, this, this was a thing. Back, back in these days, this was a thing. And there's a story of this. And when I read it, she was referred to as a semi-legendary queen. And I'm just going to call her Queen Samantha because I'm done embarrassing myself saying names I can't pronounce. So semi-legendary Queen Samantha, a Greek goddess, if you will, um, is, is reported to have been traveling through this place where the, the hills and the valleys became quite rough. And she stopped and demanded 
that her people actually go through and knock the hills down and fill in the ditches to make this place smooth. One, for her easy passage, and two, as a way to kind of make herself known and to place a stamp in history of this is my spot where I came through and I leveled the hills and filled in the valleys and I made it straight and smooth. This is not just kind of a fanciful way of saying something. This was something that actually could and did happen. And here we have this being attributed to a messenger. As we go on through the story, as you read scripture, you find out that this is referring to Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, as he was the one in the desert proclaiming the name of the Lord, making, making way, putting the hills and valleys, and making, making God's way the path for Jesus as he came through to be as smooth and easy as possible, not to make his life easy, but so that the way to Jesus would be easy. And so this is kind of the context, the background to that. This was actually a thing that they would do, go in and knock down the hills and valleys and fill them up. Verse 5, why? The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, spoken it. Sorry, that's more of Handel's Messiah. If you don't understand the little, um, oh, what was that? Uh, the little, t- anyway, it doesn't matter. Thank you. The, l- the little hiccup I just had. Um, man, you got to go listen to Larnell Harris sing this song. Every valley. Man, it's good stuff right there. I knew I shouldn't have listened to it yesterday. It was going to distract me today. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the question here is why, why was this comfort coming? Why, what was the comfort that was coming? The comfort was coming because the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. What they had was... Hope is for the coming presence of God in glory among Israel. Okay? So this this comfort that was coming was because they were waiting at that time. They were waiting for the Messiah. They knew the Messiah was coming, and they were waiting for the coming presence of God in glory among Israel. Now, the scripture said it was coming and it would be revealed to all people. This hope that they had was something that drove them to be looked for, that they were looking for this coming presence of God and glory. Now, if we take this, this concept and bring it into our day, that is still what drives our hope today. We are hoping for the coming presence of Jesus in glory, for Jesus to come again. This, this hope that we have is driven by this second advent of God coming down. It is a event that should instill hope in us at this very moment. Hope they had was being filled in this time period when they are, when they are distressed, when they have continued to ignore the warnings of returning back to God and they continue to live this spiritually adulterous life as they continue to turn their backs on God, there's still this message of hope saying you're going to suffer, you're going to come back having paid double for your sins, 
but don't fear, there's still hope. And so they have this hope moving through. But they are having to wait. They are still having to wait because the hope has not come. Now, a connection that I often forget about and just, again, rediscovered this week, I know verses 1 through 5, very Christmas, very seasonally appropriate text because of Handel's Messiah and, and, and that it's, it's right there. But at the end of this chapter, at the end of this, this promise that's given is another well-known verse. And it starts in verse 28. So Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall fall, shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. We need to talk about what waiting means. Waiting on God. It is not a time prophecy, if you will. It is not a function of time. One of my other favorite artists, not Handel or Larnell Harris, uh, but Brad Paisley, um, sings this song, uh, Waiting on a Woman. And I don't even have to listen to it. I just know. I just know what that song's about because we have all had to wait on a woman at times. I would just like to point out my wife doesn't keep me waiting very often. Thank you, dear. Thank you, dear. I do not have to go sit in the car for 10 minutes to get her to come out the door. It's nice. I appreciate that. But we know what it's like to wait on something to wait on Christmas. Those of you who are young, these next, what would it be, 14 days now? 14 days, or 13 days actually, 13 days are going to seem to creep by so slowly you can't imagine Christmas is never going to get here. I remember those days waiting for Christmas morning. Oh my goodness, I couldn't wait for that to come and it just seemed like it never was there. Now I can't keep Christmas from showing up, and I don't understand why. It's not waiting on God is not waiting impatiently. It's not waiting because he's taken his good, sweet time to do what he said he's going to do. Waiting on God is not a basis of time. Waiting on God does not, be, does not mean being idle either. does not mean just sitting around tapping your toes. Waiting on God is not something that you do by doing nothing. When we wait on God, we are active. And when we talk about hope, we must always remember that as Christians, we have been commanded, we have been instructed 
that we need to bring this hope into a world that has no hope. We have to be saying that I know your circumstances are not the best, but your circumstances do not define you. They do not limit you. And while your circumstance may not change, there is hope. We will change a circumstance as much as we can. We will help those who need help. But a circumstance may not truly ever change, but that does not mean that we can't have a sure foundation of hope and can share it with others. Waiting on God is not an idol sitting around doing nothing. Waiting on God is living in confident expectation of His action, of His action on our behalf. Waiting on God, living in confident expectation on the sure foundation of His action. Man, don't you like that? We're waiting for His action. God's not waiting for us to do something. We are waiting for God to do His work. And don't get me wrong, God has already done work. There is work that's been accomplished. There is work that's been finished. There is work that is still happening. God's work is happening. We are waiting on His work, not for Himself, not for some select special group of people, but on our behalf. We are waiting on God's, expect, God's action on our behalf. That is waiting on God, living with confident expectation of His action on our behalf, waiting for hope. The story of hope given to Adam and Eve of the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. The misplaced hope of Eve holding her child, hoping that this would be the one, but finding out that it couldn't be further from the truth. The hope continued on as the Israelites were in captivity, both in Egypt and then again in Babylon. The exile, the exile that we talked about last week that we live in now as exiles, that thread of hope continues because hope conquers. As we continue our journey, as we continue our journey, I invite you to turn to Romans. We've switched over into the New Testament because I want to make sure you understand that the thread of hope continues throughout the whole of Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Another well-known verse. And who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That is a question that is a result of failing hope. When we think that something is going to come and separate us from Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, or stay-at-home orders, 
or masks or viruses? Can that separate us from the love of God? Nothing, he goes on to say, in just a second, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yet in all these things, Paul writes, yet in all these things, what things? All these things. What are those? Tribulation, famine, pest, distress, disease, whatever you want to find, being, being told you can't go to church, being told all these things, whatever it might be that you feel is separating you from God, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities nor powers or things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing which shall shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And you're going to have to look at this because I didn't put this into the text, but I want to point out how I'm connecting this to hope because you need to understand that this love of God that is poured into us is the definition of hope. If you have your Bible, just turn back a page or two to chapter 5, verse 5. I'll read chapter Romans chapter 5, verses... 1 through 5. This is after a chapter, after a time of talking about Abraham being justified and how all of that happened. I'll let you read that. That's chapter 4. But chapter 5 starts with this. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in what? It's not on the screen. Just seeing if you're following along at home. All right, awesome. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulations, tribulation produces perseverance. And pervert perseverance, character. And character produces hope. Verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint. What does hope do? Say that with me. Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In all things, we are more than conquerors because of the love of God that was poured into us. And that is the message of hope. That is the hope that was brought to us. That is the hope that brings us conviction. That is the hope that brings us certainty. That is the hope that carries us through. A few months ago, I read an article and it it, it, it distressed me quite a bit because the the take-home message was like, I don't need messages of hope when I'm in in these different modes of suffering. And while I don't am not in the direct suffering of this person who wrote this article, I just couldn't feel discouragement and distress that we have not presented a message of hope that can meet people where they're at 
that can understand that isn't just a pie-in-the-sky hope, but it's a hope that just will move them to understand it doesn't matter what's in this life because nothing can separate me from the love of God. Hope carries us through. Janice was a teacher's assistant in a big city that had a large school system. And the school system had set up a way that they could help keep kids current in their schoolwork when they got seriously sick. Like if they ended up in the hospital or away for a while, they would send teachers to the hospitals to help out these students, to keep them as current as they could. What did I call her? Did I call her Janice? I think I did. Um, The name doesn't matter. I just make names up. Um, So I'm going to stick with Janice because I can't remember. I was going to call her Rose um, after a teacher of mine, but name doesn't matter. The name wasn't given in the story. So Janice, teacher's assistant Janice, gets a phone call one morning asking her to go to this hospital to help out a certain boy. We'll name him Jimmy. um, To help Jimmy out stay current in his schoolwork. So she, she calls the teacher and the teacher gives them instructions. Well, we're, we're going through some grammar things and I'd really love for you to go talk about adverbs and pronouns with him. And if you could just go work with, that, with him on that, that would be great. So Janice shows up the next day at the hospital and gets to Jimmy's room. She didn't, hadn't asked any questions about Jimmy's condition, but when she walked in, she saw... 10-year-old child, we'll call him 10 years old, 10-year-old child that looked almost like a mummy. He had been been in an accident that caused burns over a large portion of his body, and so half of his body looks mummified in bandages, and her heart just sinks. And it's just like, what on earth am I doing here? But... She wants to stick, stick with it. She, she goes in and begins to stammer and stumble through teaching adverbs and pronouns to Jimmy. She leaves there just feeling awful, kind of like that moment where it's just like, that was pointless, that was worthless, I failed. Um, leaves and is just kind of feels sick about it all day. The next day she gets another phone call from the hospital. And they're like, what did you do to that kid? And she, of course, is just like, I'm sorry. But they're like, no, no, no. Ever since you left, there's been a change. There's been a change in, in Jimmy. He's like suddenly is responding to treatment. He's responding. His spirit is getting better. What did you do? And she just was like, I just went in and I taught him pronouns and adjectives and adverbs. I didn't do anything. Well, a few, looks, a few weeks later, Jimmy continues to get better. And as he's leaving the hospital, he asked, what changed? What, how come it went from where it looked like you were discouraged and dying to where you recovered? And J- Jimmy's response was, they wouldn't send a teacher to teach me, a, to teach a dying boy ad- adverbs and pronouns. They wouldn't send someone to teach me about these things if I was dying. Jimmy that day, or whatever his name truly was, received an ounce 
of hope. Friends, the hope of Jesus. The hope of Jesus meets us where we're at because it is the hope of Jesus. It is the hope that came in that tiny package and Pastor Walt hasn't used it yet this year, so I can. You know, great cosmic power, little tiny packages, whatever it might be. In this tiny package of Jesus was a bundle of hope. The words that spoke into being planets and universes cried out for diaper changes and feedings. In that bundle of hope, Jesus grew up so that he could show us that there is hope that we have. He could answer that promise given back to Adam and Eve all those years ago, that there would be one to come and crush the heads of the serpent and to be victorious. Friends, it it is this hope, it is this Jesus who takes beauty from ashes, who takes broken and mends it. That is the hope that we have. And if we let that hope go, if we let that hope die, if we let ourselves let go of that hope, we will be crushed. But what a message of hope to see what Jesus has done in the lives of his people, in the life of Adam and Eve, in the life of Jonah, someone who didn't want to be like Jesus, but is referred to as being a type of Jesus. God has taken, broken, and mended it. He has made, taken, he has taken ashes and made them beautiful. He has done that, and he will do that in your life. So if you are struggling today, read the story of hope. Know that there is hope that can take you through. There is a hope that has come to us through Jesus. Never let go of that. Lord, this morning, we just ask that you instill in us the message of hope. Lord, we know that you have given us this promise and we will base our hope on your sure word on your promise alone so jesus as we go through this season may we be reminded of what you have done for us may we be reminded of the promises that you have given us that have yet to be fulfilled lord we long for the day when you come not as a baby, but as a glorious king coming to take us home. Lord, keep us in your arms until that moment. And when we fail, Lord, lift us up and remind us of the hope that you've given us. We ask all of these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.